In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is Zacchaeus Sunday, a great turning point in the life of the Church as we now turn the corner and face squarely up to the great reality that is overcoming us, the reality of the Holy 40-day Fast, which leads to Holy Week, which leads to the Pascha of the Lord, His transference from death to life. Zacchaeus Sunday is the first of the five great Sundays that lead us to Lent. Each of these Sundays has a particular and striking and vivid theme, which, if we appropriate it, if we don't just think about it, as we think about some fact that is abstract and external to us, but if we internalize it, this will absolutely guaranteed bring us in the most appropriate way that is possible to the human condition to appropriate the Holy Fast itself, Great Lent. We move, as you know, from Zacchaeus Sunday to Publican and uh, Pharisee Sunday to Prodigal Son to Meat Fair to Cheese Fair Forgiveness. So we spend each of the weeks following the hearing of the Gospel and the Sermon, considering and meditating and pondering what it is the Church offers to our hearts and to our minds in order to prep us to fast and to pray in such a way that we will behold the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Zacchaeus is one of the most dire, one of the darkest, one of the most uh, despised and loathed figures in the society of the time of Jesus. He is a tax gatherer, or in our old English uh, phrase, he is a publican. And taxes are not calculated by the IRS, depending on how many kids you have, how much you've earned, what bracket you're in. Unfortunately, the fact of the matter is that in the days of the Roman Empire, the tax gatherers around the empire, this vast area surrounding the Mediterranean Sea, bid for the right to go and collect taxes in a defined territory. And the highest bidder won the right to collect the taxes. Now I ask you, how do you guess the high bidder compensated himself for the money he had to pay for the right to collect the taxes? Yes, you got that one right. He passed it on to the taxpayers. Now these <clears throat> tax gatherers, these publicans, didn't have a standard form by which everybody pays a fair share equally. Rather, he, uh, assisted by a few men, all of whom probably looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger's stronger brother, would show it at your doorstep and size you up. And quite frankly, if you were a widow or a woman alone or a man who was not particularly powerful or an, 
elderly person, he simply forced his way in by law to your home and grabbed what he could. You had no comeback. This is legalized theft. Now I suppose that in the Roman Empire there may have been some tax gatherers of conscience. We've never heard of any of them. We don't know any names, but just to say, well, maybe there was one somewhere, one time. But certainly the publicans that we meet in the New Testament are these uh, awful people who are not only hated by the decent folk, but they uh, are very wealthy. So, as the man said, they cry all the way to the bank. It really doesn't matter to them what you think. Zacchaeus is, moreover, a Jew. Christ says he is a son of Abraham. And therefore, Zacchaeus is also a Benedict Arnold. He is a turncoat. He is a traitor. A Jew who is working with the occupying Romans. He doesn't have a lot going for him, does he? Also, he's terribly short, short, small of stature. So that in a crowd, he literally cannot see what the crowd is looking at. And he finds himself this morning in a crowd that is gathered to see who. He's trying to find out what are we... It's like being in New York City on the corner, a street corner. Somebody will be standing looking up and pretty soon a crowd gathers and everybody's looking up wondering what he's looking at. Sometimes they were looking at it. Now they, they just do it as a joke and then they walk off and leave you all looking and wondering what's up in those skyscrapers. But anyway, he's finding out what is everybody here for and they say, well, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. <gasps> Jesus of Nazareth, he says. <coughs> this is big news. Because Jesus of Nazareth at this stage of the public ministry is headline. He's a celebrity. So Zacchaeus wants to see him because he's heard about him. He's heard things about him. And his desire to see him is so great, his desire is so activated, that he actually renders himself, this very wealthy man, renders himself uh, ridiculous by climbing up a sycamore tree. Well, you can imagine what a man who is a little bit out of shape looks like climbing up a tree, and the crowd sees this, and they're mocking him. They're laughing at him, for sure. But Zacchaeus doesn't care, because his desire to see Christ is very great. So a long last Christ comes through, and the one he sees of all of the crowd is Zacchaeus, the lousy, the rotten, the despised publican. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. And Zacchaeus is very startled at this because he's not used to having conversations with leading clergymen. And so he clambers down, and you can imagine the crowd laughing and mocking him again, because it's much worse coming down than it is going up if you've ever climbed a tree. Uh, he comes down, and Christ says, I'm going to go to your home, I'm going to be your guest today. And... Uh, so he's very startled at that because nice people don't visit him. It's not the kind of home you want to be seen going into. But here is Jesus of Nazareth, this famous rabbi, who says, I'm going to come to your home. And uh, Zacchaeus is very startled, and the crowd is murmuring about this. What? 
What's this? Jesus is going with people who are lousy and rotten, they're thieves, they're traitors, they're turncoats, they're publicans. And Christ reminds them that he too is a son of Abraham. Therefore he has roots. Perhaps his current biography doesn't read very well, but he is a son of Abraham. And he tells Zacchaeus this day, I'm coming to your house and you and all your house will be saved. And Zacchaeus is so moved by this that he renounces his lousy, rotten ways and he says, if I've ever defrauded anybody, well, I mean, the, the real thing is, have you ever treated anybody fairly? But, you know, if I've ever defrauded anybody, I will restore to him fourfold. If I took a thousand dollars from somebody by fraud, he's got four thousand dollars from me. And that means that anybody there, and of course the word passes throughout the town, uh, can go to his house and he's going to pay them. He's made a vow. So that's the story. Now why, of the four Gospels, of all the different stories that there are, all the encounters, does the Church begin the five-Sunday countdown to Lent with the story of Zacchaeus? And the answer is the Church's insight into human psychology. The basic truth that the Church is looking at is that you can do anything if you desire it. But you cannot do anything if you do not desire it. If you go into something half-heartedly, it's not going to work out well for you. But if you go in wholeheartedly, even if there are setbacks, even if there are obstacles, in the end you will prevail, you will succeed. If your desire is white-hot enough, but you've got to have this overwhelming desire, it is the beginning of everything. If our prayer tastes ashen and flat and bleak and unconvincing in our own mouths, we who are saying the prayer, it is because we do not understand, before we begin to pray, that we are about to pray to the one whom we desire more than anything else. More than anything on earth, we desire the Lord. We always remind ourselves that the gospel boils down essentially to a number of things. One of them is Christ confronting men. How does he confront them? Well, it all can be summed up in this way. Christ says to you, what do you desire? Since desire is so functional, since it, it acts so powerfully in human affairs, above all in their religious lives. So Christ stands in front of you and looks you straight in the eye and says, what do you want? What do you desire? And you think and you come up with some things and then you realize, well, you know, pfft, Yes, I'd like a new Mercedes. Yes, a bigger house. Yes, a higher salary. Yes, a better insurance plan. Yes, this. But that's not the thing that I desire the most. <laughs> so finally, and it takes much longer and it's harder work than you would imagine. Finally, the person says to himself and to God, this is what I desire. And you know, sometimes it's very embarrassing. Because some of the things that we desire the most are not very nice things. But we're being honest with Christ because it's Christ. We're telling the truth. 
So even if it's embarrassing and humiliating to admit it, we say, this is what I want, more than anything else. Then Christ does this. He steps between you and the object of your actual greatest desire. And he says, good, now choose. It's always that way. And the choice is always hard. The choices don't get easier. The path of the cross is always a difficult path because in these choices, do you see how they exemplify what our Savior says about the cross? If you would follow me, he says, you must deny yourself and take up the cross. Denying yourself very much involves denying the things that you want the most on this earth. So, when Christ asks us the question, we baptize communicating Christians, what do you want the most? The answer is you. I want you the most. I want you, O my Lord, the most. I want you, O Christ, the most. That's what I want. Because with Christ, you get it all. You get everything. You get immortality, eternal life, bliss, ecstasy, beyond anything we can even imagine on this earth. This is why the Church designates the Gospel about Zacchaeus to inaugurate, to trigger our thinking about Great Lent. When I was a little boy, as you know, I was a Protestant little boy. And I went to school in which the class was maybe a little more Protestant and little less than half Roman Catholic. But the Catholics were more apparent than we were because they got to do all those neat things. They crossed themselves, they went to Mass, they did all the things that Catholics do and that we didn't do. If you'd asked us what we did, we would have had to have said, well, we really don't do much of anything. We didn't even have to go to church, but we knew that among the drawbacks of being Catholic was that you had to go to Mass. So we were pretty... But there was one area where we were all together on the same page, and that was, what are you going to give up for Lent? Whether I was six years old in the first grade or nine years old in the third, fourth grade, this is a, at this time of the year, all the little Catholic boys and girls in my class were asking each other, and then we Protestants learned that we had to ask too, what are you giving up for Lent? So Lent was a time of giving up. <laughs> and what you gave up was gum, candy, soda, ice cream, something that really you treasured. You know, if Christ had asked us little kids, what do you want the most, probably we would have come up with something like an ice cream cone. But then we're little kids. So... This defined Lent for me until I was actually in college. That was the time when you give up chewing gum. Well, of course, it's a little more serious than that. And it's not so much a question of what you give up, but what you take on. Christ says that we will not release ourselves from the power of the demonic until we have learned to fast and pray. Prayer that is linked to fasting is the most powerful prayer that our God, Jesus Christ, knows about. And you remember the occasion with the little boy who had the epileptic symptoms, how the apostles couldn't drive out the demons, and Christ came and drove them out, and then the apostles were embarrassed, and they said, why couldn't we do it? And he said, this is a particularly difficult kind of demon to get rid of, and it's not going to go without prayer and fasting. So we see that we have this period of 40 days, and it seems so long. Lent is so long. Prayer and fasting for 40 days. If you try it, it's not long enough. 
and Holy Week will come to you and you'll think, it's over already. And that's always the way of things. If you do them right and if you do them well, if you do them with, yes, that's the word, desire, 40 days is not enough. And you really get some traction, you really get some momentum, you really get moving in a certain... And you say your prayers religiously, as they say, in the morning and at night, and people provoke you, and you don't get mad, you're patient with them. Maybe you feel some anger, but you say, this is not Lenten, this is not Christian, so you get rid of the anger, and you just go on. Zacchaeus Sunday. The Sunday in which we focus on the fact that we human beings are people of desires. We are full of desires. We see how our uh, economy is driven by the fact that we desire things and will drive to malls in order to acquire the things that we desire. And everything is predicated on that. But we have to understand that as believing Christians, we attach the, these desires not to a trip to Costco or Macy's or Nordstrom's or something like that. We attach them to the life-giving gospel of our Savior. And that in loving Him and desiring to be with Him and in Him forever and ever and a day, we have to speak to each other in a certain way. We have to treat each other in a certain way, not in other ways. And you and I all know, everyone in the room knows, which ways are which. This is the Sunday of dedication. I dedicate my desire to Jesus Christ. Not to this, that, or the next thing, but to Christ alone. So how wise is the Church, who is our mother, and the mother of our faith, how wise is the Church in starting us to think about the 40-day fast followed by Holy Week, which is also a fasting week. Thinking about this by focusing on the fact that you and I desire many things. And these desires are not only for things. Sometimes in a family or in a job, we think what we really desire most is that you not be here. We wish that you would get out of the room or leave or stop bugging me or irritating me or poking me, especially when we're very young. And even adults have feelings that are analogous to that. We get tired of some people. But uh, these are bad desires. And we're not going to go to heaven with bad desires. That's for sure. But Lent will teach us what and how to desire the right things that bestow eternal life on us. We pray that the lesson of Zacchaeus not be lost on you and me but that this week we learned the lesson very well. And having learned that, we will be ready for the next lesson of the publican and the Pharisee, the struggle between pride and humility. Amen.